Life's Third Act is a podcast dedicated to helping you get the most out of your retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, attorney CPA Joe Cordell features guests each week to discuss prominent topics for those over 55. Here's attorney CPA Joe Cordell. Welcome to another episode of Life's Third Act. Uh, We're going to talk about today about a real-world experience to kind of illustrate some of the principles that we talk about a lot here on this show. We talk a lot about the idea of planning your estate well so that whatever you've accumulated in this world, whether it's a lot or whether it's relatively little, it's still it's all you've got. And, And it deserves your attention. And things can go wrong when you don't give it your attention. So there's probably no better case for us to talk about some of these principles than that that involved Elvis Presley. Uh, so with us today, we have Nina Windsor, uh, our authority. She's the, a partner at uh, at Tucker Allen, and she's been a regular guest. She's, of course, one of our most popular guests because she's authoritative on this subject. So Nina, do you want to lead us through this discussion of Elvis's plans gone awry? Yeah, absolutely. So anytime that we're talking about a celebrity case, it's important to remember there are certain laws that are different in different states uh, that surround trust administration and validity um, and probate. So this particular one, of course, is out of California, as so many of our celebrity probate cases are. But a lot of the issues at hand are absolutely um, applicable to any state and any yeah, trust. a lot of the that principles are the same. Completely. It's interesting, though, Elvis died in Tennessee— uh, but this trust ends up being administered in the state of California? Yes. Um, it's quite possible because of the location of the trustees, the situs of the trust, and uh, and it was restated in 2010. There's a possibility that the situs of the trust was changed, if not earlier, in 2010 to make it California. And when you change the situs or location, I know you you know we need to yeah. make sure everybody understands that the location of the trust actually is uh, affects what governing law. Uh, applies to the trust and the administration. So in this case, um, none of the pleadings um, indicate that there is another law at, of another state at issue here. Yeah. So uh, so let's let's start at kind of the beginning. Strong roots are essential for a healthy tree, especially your family tree. That's why you work hard to take care of your family every day. At Tucker Allen, we know that taking care of your family means planning for the future. Our team provides personalized estate planning to help you protect your family, your legacy, and your future. From wills and trusts to long-term care and estate planning, count on Tucker Allen. Personalized estate planning made simple. Elvis, he did create a trust as opposed to just a will. Yes, so he's far ahead of a lot of the celebrities that we talk about generally who die with nothing. Um, and then the mess ensues then. Uh, but for this, there is a trust. Um, and it was and a it, testamentary trust, right? Yes, I believe that it was, yes. Yeah, uh, so the testamentary, just so, would you explain that a little bit? So a testamentary trust is created under a will. Um, it's not something that we generally recommend because it does require the estate to go through a probate process before authorizing the creation of a trust. And it leaves a lot to be desired because simply saying, hey, by the way, 
when this money gets to this person, I'd like it to go into a trust usually leaves out a lot of the governing provisions that give a manual to the trustee on how to handle the trust going forward. Uh, So when somebody takes this trust that's a very bare bones and restates it or which is a refreshing of the trust, amending the trust, it's usually to allow more guidance for how the management of the trust is going to go forward. And, you know, there is a lot of misunderstanding out there about about the events um, involving the money after Elvis's death. Elvis died in the 70s, I think around mm-hmm. 77. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so when he passed away, uh, there was a significant amount of money then, as you might imagine, but it became a lot more because no one predicted that his name and his likeness you know, his logo, et cetera, there's so many ways they marketed him, not to mention the mansion in Memphis, um, turned out to be so profitable that his wealth actually increased, his estate substantially increased after his death. Mm-hmm. And and no one could have predicted that because it's that's not a common occurrence. It may become in the future, but in the past when somebody famous has died, um, the wealth that's generated through their name after they're gone is rarely as much as was was generated during their lifetime. But we all know Elvis became an industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, an industry through right. books, publications, movies, tours of the properties. I mean, so many things. Of course, all the recordings. So, so anyway, I, Priscilla is often credited with sort of leading this charge. I mean, Lisa was young at the time. And, and Priscilla was the divorced wife, yes. right? She had already been divorced. So Priscilla, uh, from the articles I've read, is credited in many ways with pushing this along and with the advice of people who are business managers and whatnot that were involved as well, of course. Uh, but she was a pretty good steward during the period she, which she was managing these assets, uh, one of the trustees. And and it did. It became a hundred plus million dollars at a time when that was a lot of money, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was like in the early nineties. It was nineteen ninety three. Okay, so tell us what happened in terms of of what was to go. This was all set up for Lisa, right? The daughter. Yes. Yes. And held what approximately what she had been? Would she have been in her, her ten or eleven? I believe so because she was. She passed away in January of this year. She was fifty four. Yeah. So. Yeah, she was a child at the time. It was cancer, wasn't it? Was Mm -hmm. it cancer? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pretty rapid. And um, at the time of her passing, unfortunately, her son had passed away, and so she only had one daughter. Which was Lisa. Yeah, Yeah. so Lisa Marie um, had one uh, daughter, Riley. Oh, Lisa Marie. Mm -hmm. So when did Priscilla pass away? Uh, Priscilla is still living. Okay. So she is actually the petitioner in these... Uh, these actions. Yes. So we're going to go back and kind of walk through this. But there's some... Not only is this, I think, fascinating, those of us who, who enjoy Elvis's music and still enjoy his music, but also there are a lot of lessons here uh, for us to learn. So give us kind of the chronology of what happened after Elvis is gone. We had, There was a trust in place. A trust in place for Lisa Marie. Um, and apparently, she received kind of a bulk sum of money at a certain age when she was younger. And we don't have a copy of the original trust. That has not been made public. So we don't know, you know, based on the testamentary trust, what the exact terms were. And that's um, one of the many benefits of a trust is that— yes. You know, even with a name like that, where we think we could get access to that information, unlike wills, 
you can. I mean, trust is trust can be private. Yes. Um, and that's, I mean, we had a discussion yesterday at work just talking about, okay, depending on the structure of your distributions, what would be your main thing that is going to say, no, I absolutely want to trust versus a will. And for many people, it is privacy. So once somebody starts getting angry about the way things are going, though, and they file something in court, those documents become public. And so the documents that I have are ones that the lawyer for uh, for Priscilla actually filed contesting what's going on with the trust right now. And and it, it wasn't under seal, which means that the public can see it. Yes. Sometimes you can get a judge to give you, uh, if you ask I'm not for that it. good. I don't have connections in California to get documents under seal yet. So, so. <laughs> So anyway, so bring us up. There was this um, the, this payout, a big payout that occurred when Lisa Marie turned 24, I think. Yes. So at the time that she received an outright distribution, and this is something that we talk about regularly with how to structure things for your kids. Once you have the money and it can go into a trust, um, if that is an outright distribution, you are starting all over again with those funds. They have no protection from divorce or creditors because you own all of those assets. So Lisa Marie owned this inheritance. It was hers. And then she had a revocable trust where she had named her manager, Barry, her business manager, which would seem like a safe bet, right? We always give people advice yeah. on who to name. Her, her business manager, Barry, as well as Priscilla, as trustee. And this is with the payout that occurred in, in the early 90s? It's with uh, what was remaining of the estate. She was basically trying to get her own affairs in order. So this is her trust at this point. But but uh, the trust, though, that Elvis created? That, we believe, because this is regarding um, an originally created 1993 trust, and it was restated in 2010. So this particular trust did not exist until okay. 1993. So we don't know uh, that Elvis had any sort of provision in place to limit her access to money after she reached the age of 24. And that's where the gray area is, because there is a lot of money that has gone missing. So then, do we know then that there was a trust in place uh, in Elvis's will? It, that there possibly was one that held the money until she was of a certain age. Yeah. That's, she, yeah. And so that is very common, and that is often what happens with a testamentary trust. Again, not something I recommend. It's a very messy, kind of misleading mm -hmm. type of instrument. But it's something that people can do if they aren't going to put a trust together. They can say in their will, okay, well, if it's going to a special needs individual or it's going to a child who is under the age of X, then I want this money set aside in a trust until they reach a different age. So... So just so this is is clear, uh, I think that you know, we want you to understand we're talking about two different trusts. The first trust is one that the that Elvis had in place, and Elvis made the mistake of, or his lawyers, somebody should have told Usually Elvis that that you you don't want the money just handed over to somebody as young as Lisa Marie would have been in her twenties or early twenties. But they did have a provision at least to where it didn't go to her when she reached the age of majority, which probably was 18, could have mm -hmm. been 21 in that jurisdiction. But they did have a provision then that this trust that was in place through Elvis's will had instructions for the money to be distributed to her in total when she reached around age 24. 
And so that was about in the, the 93 period, mm-hmm. 1993 period. And um, that that number was somewhere in the ballpark of $100 million, as I've read in several yes. reports. And this these numbers people aren't sure about, but the, it's a pretty reliable estimate. Forbes estimate was $100 bucks. And it's called the Promenade Trust. That's what we're dealing with today, the Promenade Trust. So that money was just handed to Lisa Marie as this 24-year-old. And so then Lisa Marie creates what is, at that point, a revocable trust. Mm -hmm. So it's revocable, which means she had complete control of it. So it didn't restrain Lisa Marie, and Lisa Marie was the problem. Through perhaps no fault of hers, she was 24. A lot of us would have made bad decisions, but she did a really good job of making bad decisions. Except that it looks like she actually did appoint people to be trustee, as opposed to most people who create a revocable trust. They are the their you know their own trustee. Yeah. Um, so we don't know what was at place there, whether that was someone's wishes or whether she would was advised to say, "Hey, you don't have a business head on your shoulder, so we're going to put this money in the trust and we're going to make these two people trustee, Priscilla and Barry, your business manager." Yeah, and I hear your point. That's better than not having them in place. Mm-hmm. But well, ex- but the depending. point is they the, Ravi, Ravi. Now there are allegations that it was mismanaged, but. But the bottom the, the bottom line for that arrangement, the problem that makes it dooms it to failure is that Lisa is really in charge. They're working for her and and Lisa can create a revocable trust, but still she fully has complete 100 percent authority over the money. And thereafter she goes on to to she bought a jet and she um, married Michael Jackson, and I don't know how much money the two of them spent of her money versus his, Mm -hmm. but something tells me that that wasn't good for her estate. And she made a lot of bad decisions that that these people, because there's a revocable trust and they were trustees that essentially she had appointed and she could fire at any time, they didn't have the ability to restrain her, and that's a huge flaw in estate planning. You and I, I guess that may be the biggest message we could have here on this subject. Do you agree? Or I do, I, and I think that the restraint, you know, assuming that somebody who is their own trustee will manage their funds well um, is discounting all the things that can happen in life as an adult, and people go through stages. Now, we we allow and and often recommend that our clients, uh, you know, appoint their children as trustee of their own trusts once it's divided, depending on the amount of money. But we do very specific things to try to protect that money from divorce and creditors, to make sure that the money is not allowed to be used just solely for the benefit of a spouse, for example. You know, trying to keep that money in the family line um, and also keeping it to a standard that they would have to provide paperwork that it fell under health, education, maintenance, and support. So buying a you know, a zoo or something like that probably yeah. doesn't fall under that. And especially something you would do for a friend. You can't you can't really be as benevolent with your inheritance as you otherwise would be. And that sometimes is a wonderful restriction because you could have children that are not necessarily bad with spending money on themselves, but may be prone to being a bleeding heart and wanting to help out other people. Yeah, people who are vulnerable and mm-hmm. to become a victim, really, yes. of, of others. So the point we want to emphasize here, among among several points, is that 
The temptation is to simply turn the money over to your kids when they're an adult. That's kind of an automatic response, I think, in estate planning. And I think Elvis didn't think much about it. I'm sure he didn't think he would die as young as he did. So he made the assumption that that at least the money, when it was turned over, it would be substantially past age 24. In other words, you know, 35, 40, 45. Maybe Marie would, Lisa Marie would have managed it better then, but that's a big assumption. So whenever we do estate planning, we don't want to assume the best case scenario. We want to assume the worst case scenario. That's why you plan. That's among the primary reasons you plan. So the idea that you dump money into your children's hands when they're adults at any age, really you should step back and think about because there's no reason to do it. The money is much more protected if it's in the trust, not just from them. It's from ever all these other threats that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. People forget about the vulnerability that, that we have to losing our money through lawsuits, you know, through, you know, just a catastrophic economic collapse of some sort. There could be lots of things where you're in a business, for example, and that business fails through no fault of yours. So uh, by having somebody other than yourself or in addition to yourself, as you mentioned, yes, you, you explain a little bit about how you have somebody act as their trustee and at the same time have controls. Sure. So if you are thinking to um, that you really want your children at a certain age to have some control over their inheritance. You don't want to put too many strings on things. Um, you can appoint them to act as co-trustee at least for a period of time with either a, an older and more responsible relative or with somebody who's a close friend of the family who's in finance, with a bank, with a trust yeah. company, with an attorney, with a CPA. Um, and you can also say, okay, this person's going to act as co-trustee with my child, uh, at least for a five-year period. That you know, You've got several years of preparing a tax return, of kind of understanding what the standard is for those distributions of learning a little bit of restraint so that you don't see that balance come down too quickly when you're upset after your parents have died. And people discount that a lot of the emotions that go into both getting a lump sum of money at the same time as losing a parent. It's not a great time to make those decisions. So you wait for the dust to settle and for the person to get a little bit better at understanding how to manage the money. And then you can pick an age for it to be turned over to them. If you don't want to pick an age because we don't all have a crystal ball, we also have provisions that we can put in where the co-trustee will continue to serve until the beneficiary is certified by that co-trustee to be uh, have the financial acumen is the term that we use to manage those funds themselves. So yes, we could say, okay, no earlier than this, but let's say 25, they start to be co-trustee. They've got a an apartment, they understand rent and groceries and gosh, how, why does everything cost so much? And, you know, trying to get a budget together that's going to be only supplemented as necessary by this trust. And then by the time they reach 30, they may understand what they need, um, what they're thinking about doing next. They may have started to think about having a family by then. And so the structure of their livelihood, but also what they're going to be doing for a living and, you know, what things are they good at? What things are they not good at? And so the co-trustee at that point can release them to be their own trustee or the co-trustee can say, no, the trust here says that you can serve as early as 30 as your own trustee, but only on the basis of financial acumen. And you are a stuntman and don't really know anything about 
paperwork at all or finances at all. And I want to make sure that this money is still here for you. So even though you're probably really good at your job, your strengths do not lie in finances. So I'm going to continue to serve as co-trustee. Yeah. And, and that, that's a, that model is really a good model to have them, you know, share authority, but that still is a very real constraint because the other trustee has some veto power. So there's a whole spectrum uh, along which you can choose the level of authority you want your children to have. This is not this conversation is not based on the subject of your children having bad judgment. They can have the they could be as a matter of fact, the smarter your kids are, the more they're going to say to you, "Mom, dad, please do this. Listen to what we're saying, do this for mm-hmm. us because the, the, the smartest of your kids, if you have a kid who's who's a lawyer, for example, they're going to listen to this conversation. And they're going to say, yeah, I get it. Let's go ahead and put it in trust. Let's put those controls in because he or she knows that they're better protected. They can't create the sort of uh, bulletproof um, uh, uniform that they have on their trust that a third party can create, the third party being you. You can create that for somebody else, but but there are limitations on somebody's ability to themselves to go out and do that. So if you hand the money to that lawyer who's a son or a daughter, they they cannot do what you could have done because they're doing it for themselves and the rules are stricter when you write something up and try to say to your creditors that you can't sue them, to your wife you can't, or husband, you can't have half the assets. You know, the law restricts your ability to do that for yourself. But if somebody gives you assets, that, that that the terms of that are they're protected from divorce, they're protected from creditors, they're protected from bankruptcy in some cases, they're protected from um, – uh, I'm leaving out a big category uh, – fraud, your own investment decisions, mm-hmm. and lots of lots of things that, that don't imply you had bad judgment. That's not the purpose of this conversation. I just I keep coming back to that because a lot of people are, I'm afraid, keep sitting there thinking, oh, my child has good judgment. It's not about your child's judgment. So I think I've, I've made that clear. But now imagine a spectrum. So if your child has bad judgment, then yeah, you do you 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 nail it down really well. You have lots of provisions like maybe there isn't a co-trustee because you know that they have their judgment's not very good. So forget the co-trustee. In other words, it's strictly the trustee you appoint who will manage the money. Your child will not have a voice in that. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum where where you are describing where your child is that son or is that doctor or lawyer or whoever who has some some you know maturity in these things so you want to give them as much authority as you can and still give them the same protections that I mentioned so in that case you know there are lots of rules you can you can put in your trust and that's the beauty of having such a customizable do- document well and let's say people are listening and they go I really think this sounds too complicated, and I am planning on outliving most of my money. And so by the time it gets to my kids, can we just write them a check? Because, you know, and and that's a nice optimistic thing to say. We tell our clients a lot of times, like, look, I hope your money grows, and I hope you also have a chance to spend a lot of it. And so by the time that it gets to your kids— Maybe it won't be that much, and In maybe you'll words, have had a very long the the goal to die life. broke. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. You know, and we're in full support of that. <laughs> this is not all about making sure your kids, you know, get a, get an inheritance. Um, but that's easily solved. So let's say you, Nina, you're overcomplicating it. I get that a lot. So you know, we, and and that's okay uh, because there is a very simple solution. If you 
put a provision in that says, when my children get these distributions, if my trustee goes to distribute the money, or if at any point during the trust administration, the trust balance dips below the certain dollar amount. The trustee will have the discretion to deter- to terminate the trust, meaning dissolve it, mm-hmm. or not to fund it to begin with. So if you're talking about someone who may, if they died tomorrow, be handing their kids half a million dollars each, yeah. but by the time that they really live through retirement, their kids may get a hundred to $50,000 each, um, depending on how their investments yeah, perform. Yeah, they just don't know. They don't know. We don't know. So we put a provision in that the client selects the amount and says, okay, well, we've we've structured these trusts. We got something really robust here for the client. But if the amount dips below 100000 or 50000 the trustee has the discretion not to set up these separate accounts, not to complicate the issue, not to hire someone to act as an independent trustee and really preserve what is there to remove the red tape and preserve it and basically cut a check when all of the assets are liquidated to the uh, to the child or the family member that is the inheritor. Yeah, yeah, so such flexibility. So, you know, nobody should be scared of putting together a really complicated, as you know, as it might seem, a very detailed plan because there's always an out. Yeah, and 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 to make this point a little further, just to show you that that I, I believe in what I'm saying, um, I've said on this show before. I mean, I have, I have two children. Uh, one, uh, a, a lawyer; the other's almost completed, is becoming a doctor. For both of them, I, I'm doing exactly what I said to you. Uh, I they will not at any point receive money that's simply dumped into their lap. It will, you know, they're they're are provisions that the trustee will have discretion. So you give your trustee discretion to pay out, you know, maybe liberally if you want. Mm-hmm. If you want to be very permissive, you can do that. And that way, the, your children have the best of all worlds. They have all the protections that you want them to have from all those threats around them. And at the same time, within reason, they can get at the money if they want it, within reason. But the point is, they, there's technically someone else in control. And that's what's important legally. You can't give them full control and at the same time have all these wonderful protections we're talking about. So there has to be somebody who has the ability to say no. But but you kind of may, you put the instructions to where you know, it's going to be a pretty permissive arrangement. So I'm a true believer in this. And and even if it were less money, it, your illustration's good. You know, we may be talking to people who may be talking about $500,000. Uh, $500,000 is a lot of money. But but to some people, some may be thinking, oh, it needs to be $5 million, or I need to have $3 million, or whatever your number is in your head. But that's not true. $500,000 is a lot of money, and and depending on rates of interest and how yes. it accumulates, and, and especially if it's not paid out for a while after your death. I mean, if your children are in good financial shape, maybe you put a provision in that you use the phrase, the trustees instructed to look at their health, education, maintenance, and support. That's kind of a phrase. All it means is to help them out as they need it, and then you, if there's some special need, an urgent need, then... Mm-hmm. Then, then you can have that paid out. Like a loss of a job, even temporarily, for example, the trust can supplement that without any issues and still maintain those protections. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, 
Oddly enough, your kids may choose not to draw on it, even if they have the ability to go to the trustee and take it out, or if they're a co-trustee, they may choose to leave it where it is because that's a smart thing to do if they don't need it, if they have enough money coming in from their retirement or whatever other sources of income they have, that they may decide to leave it for the next generation, mm-hmm. which if if we're if Tucker Allen's doing your trust, then there'll be provision for that. So oddly enough, your $500,000 that you didn't think was so much may turn into a million or more because your children choose to not pull it out, though they could, you know, or they could influence the trustee, we know. So, but they don't because they want to leave it there for their kids to have the same wonderful benefit they had. So they went through life with this assurance through the balance of their lives, your children, with with this assurance always that they're safe. That, that the peace of mind, you know, it means a lot to have money in the bank, even if you're not. Some people mm-hmm. drive more pleasure from money that's in a bank, mm-hmm. you know, especially a bank as well secure as a trust. And even though they don't pull it out, they get more pleasure than the person who goes out and buys a, you know, Mercedes or something. Knowing that it's there if they need it. Yeah. Yeah. So, Which is kind of the opposite of what happened here. I know. Let, let's <laughs> real quickly. How much time do we have? 15, 20 minutes. 15 minutes? Okay. So why don't we go ahead then and talk about what happened. Uh, so this money's paid. I took us to that point in the story. The money's paid out in 93 or so mm-hmm. and then pick it up. And then the trust is uh, put, put together in 93. It's amended in 2010. Again, it's private, so we don't have a complete copy of the trust. What we do have, though, in these pleadings that uh, – Priscilla is the petitioner on are little snippets of the trust and snippets of the trust amendment showing what the person was empowered to do, what Lisa Marie was empowered to do, and then what was contained in this trust amendment that is purported to have been signed in 2016. So keep in mind, we're no longer talking about the trust Elvis created. Yes. We're talking about the trust that Lisa, the daughter, created after the money was paid out to her. It came into her care. The promenade trust. Yeah. And so she creates this revocable trust. So this has a lot of flaws. Don't confuse this with what we're recommending. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a revocable trust that Lisa created for herself. And she named her mother and a business manager as the first co-trustees, right? Correct. And so Barry and Priscilla um, are the initial trustees. And then if one of them is unable to act, then Riley, the daughter, would then act as co-trustee with the one of them that was able. That was the original trust document, um, or at least in the the 2010 restatement. So they Um, were managing, uh, Lisa and Barry were managing during this period that this money went from a hundred million down to sixteen sixteen thousand? Sixteen million. Still a lot. Okay. No, no, no. It went below that. Now according well, to now the, there was I haven't read an article on this in a while. That this is research that Nina that, you've done. Yes. They're saying that um Lisa Marie's estate is estimated to be worth sixteen million. That's good. I remember when there was a lawsuit about oh twenty ten approximately. Oh, this, the, the date of this restatement, possibly. <laughs> so, so when this first spilled into the press, it was shocking. She mm-hmm. had sued, it was the lawsuit, where mm-hmm. she sued her trustee, I guess Barry. Mm-hmm. I don't think she ch- sued Priscilla. No. So she sued Barry, alleging mismanagement. And at that time, 
I think she said in the lawsuit document she filed that there was like a hundred and fifty or two hundred or three hundred thousand dollars. It was a low, low, low number. So uh, maybe not everything was in the trust, but maybe the actual trust balance had gotten to that level, which is that yeah, is shocking. That would make sense. So maybe yeah. that's how we reconcile this: that she had some assets outside the trust, but but her argument was that you know. Where did all this money go? It's your fault. You're the trustee. Right. And his pleadings said, no, no, where you went was, in so many words, and it listed some real profligate, wasteful things that Lisa had done. Remember, ultimately, she's in charge of her trustee because it's revocable. So she can fire them. She can abolish the trust which if she is, wants. Which is what we think she did very sloppily in 2016. So her son, Lisa Marie's son, passed away in 2020. So this is assuming that at the time in 2016, it's contemplating that he would still have been alive. He would have been young. Yes. So but, what, when, but do you he, know why? But she was naming her two children as the co-trustees to, to replace Priscilla and Barry. And that's what this trust... Now... Did she draft it herself? We've got some clients who've brought in some really shady trust amendments. We have ones that uh, are supposedly drafted by but an not attorney. On, not on sixteen million dollars. If that, if if she put that in the trust, I mean, I don't if know. if she did, but it doesn't matter. People like to go rogue, no matter what the stakes are, and, yeah. and especially if you have a refutation of those other claims, saying Barry is saying it's actually your fault that this money is missing or, or you know, that or there was really wasn't mismanaged. mismanaged. I don't think she accused um, him of theft, but it was mismanagement. Right. And so if that's the case, there isn't a lot more you can do other than stomp your foot and fire someone. And so this appears to be the equivalent of that through a trust amendment. Now, some of the criticisms that Priscilla's lawyer have, because she she may have been a casualty of this anger at Barry saying, okay, well, I'm not going to, you know, my mom's older anyway. I'm going to get rid of Priscilla, get rid of Barry, and I'm going to appoint my kids. There was a, a date on it that seemed to be different than the notary date. So that was a problem. So there's some criticisms there. There's criticism that Priscilla's name was misspelled in the amendment. Um, so it, it makes it look like it's somebody who was not doing it through a lawyer's office. Correct, maybe? possibly. But she's saying, look, this wasn't even delivered to the trustees. We didn't get it. So how can we find out after she's passed away that this amendment made Riley, because the um, son has passed away in 2020, so it would have been Riley the daughter of Lisa Marie acting as sole trustee. And Priscilla's like, oh, here we go again. Now we're going to have another younger person, Riley. Priscilla has survived everybody here. <laughs> yeah, she's, we need to it's know what amazing. she's doing. <laughs> I, and, and, but, but the, the what she looks she, good too. The, and the sort of chaos that she's observed. Yes, which is unfortunate. And in fairness, I mean, I want to emphasize that the fact that it went to a hundred million bucks or so under Lisa's oversight after, I'm, I'm sorry, after yeah. Priscilla's oversight after Elvis's death. So um, in a way, Lisa is a beneficiary of Priscilla's management. I'll, I'll, you know, in fairness, Priscilla was relying on professionals and maybe was Barry also the co-trustee before Lisa's emancipation? Um, before Lisa's emancipation? I'm not sure. 
Okay. He was the business manager, so I doubt it. Yeah, okay. Uh, I doubt it. I think that that was somebody that she had hired. But I mean, the, the when Lisa Marie sued Barry, um, she alleged that he had either fraudulently or grossly misled um, and through amended multiple schedules of the amended recount uh, and accounting, um, cash distributions. And so that was the thing. It was like, well, where did these go? You know, you're saying all these cash distributions. I don't remember getting this cash. And so you're right on the money, I think. Well, uh, because I think that this is really just a, I don't know where this possibly could have gone. It's so much money in the aggregate. You know, my my kid works at Starbucks. So she got her W-2 for the year and she looked at the amount and she goes, look at how much money I made. And I said, well, that's great. And she goes, no, I don't know where all of it is. I don't remember getting all that money. I don't remember getting all that money. So I think that's more what was happening as far as the impetus for the trust amendment. And do I believe that the trust amendment, that she intended to amend the trust? Yes. So that's where it's kind of in the court's hands right now is regardless of whether the amendment checked every single box or or whether a lawyer properly spelled Priscilla's name, which we recommend every attorney very carefully check yeah. anything that they're preparing to make sure no names are misspelled uh, just because it's it's sloppy and unprofessional and also can cause issues like this. Yeah, it can raise, it, it is sloppy and unprofessional, but also can raise questions about whether something was actually done. Or not. reviewed, because if, if you say, okay, fine, did someone prepare this and put it in front of Lisa Marie to sign, but did she get a chance to review it? Because if she had reviewed it, wouldn't she have noticed that her mom's name yeah, was misspelled? that's a very good point. So all kinds of things there, a, a date that doesn't match up with a notary block. They're saying it wasn't properly notarized. It wasn't witnessed. Remember, trust amendments don't always need to be witnessed. And what's especially sad about all this is that these are people who had the contacts and had the resources to assure that a reputable law firm did this work. And all this could have been and should have been in the file of one law firm, maybe two, because whenever you hire a law firm to handle your estate planning, ideally, that, that law firm will be around a long time. Tucker Allen, you know, it's, you know, the Tucker and Allen dates back 100 years. But whenever you're entrusting a firm that you want a relationship with for decades, and that's really should be your relationship with your estate planning firm, the nice thing about it is any changes that took place, some, they just pull out the file. Maybe it's, it's digital now. So they, they pull out the digital file, and they can see every document that was ever signed. Every change can be explained. There will be notes. notes. The attorneys make notes. So there's a record. There could have been a record in this case, even if she changed law firms once, uh, hopefully not 10 times. But, but when you change a law firm, you do it properly. You ask that the whole file be transferred over to the law firm. In fact, the law firm will say to you, I want the, the file from the previous law firm mm-hmm. so I can understand what happened. So when you change law firms, you transfer the whole file. That Now it sits with your, your current law firm. To end up in this situation, this sort of chaotic situation with these documents where the courts are going to have to, judges are going to have to scratch their heads and figure out what was intended with these multiple changes and, and the fact that they were they, they occurred under unusual circumstances, not the way we normally execute documents at Tucker Allen. Yeah. So um, there's a lesson here. Choose a reputable firm and stick with it. And if you do need to leave that firm, be sure the whole file goes to the new firm, but then stick with that firm. Don't don't go to 
10 or 15 different lawyers over a period of 20 years or 25 or 30 years, which is not, you know, eight or nine is not unusual for mm-hmm. people that don't think about it. They, they, they just think, oh, I need a lawyer. Where is one? And, and even on the same subject matter, they, they don't feel obliged to, to have everything gathered at a single place with a reputable institution that's going to have all those records always. And has succession planning. Yes, succession planning, too, Uh, because law firms need succession plannings just like you do. And you want to be sure that you've not hired, you know, this wonderful, nice guy or gal, you know, Susan Smith, who was a good lawyer. But Susan's gone now. And where's your file? And maybe you're calling around town trying to figure out where that file ended up. And it may never be found. So there's something to be said for law firms as opposed to... An individual. I think so. Especially yeah. in this instance, it's not a personal injury lawsuit where it's basically done when Good the case point. is over. This is a continued relationship and representation. I mean, so we are making you know, great strides, I think, in making sure that the firm is is stable with respect to planning for people who are younger and also experienced within the firm so that someone will be around to answer your questions, to rely on that file, to give you the information and your children that information that you need. So even yeah. if you do hire an attorney or a client hires an attorney who is older than them, mm-hmm. that's okay, provided that there's a plan for who's going to be handling this within the firm when somebody when, when you pass away. We hope yeah. that the client doesn't pass away imminently. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so I sit with people all the time and I'm like, okay, well, um, you know, if I have young, I have younger families I work with, I said, I'll, I hope that I'm dead uh, by well, the time that it comes need, time to, to actually to need these documents. Yeah, to, to administer your trust. But don't worry because there are people who are younger than me within the firm already who will be able to work on the trust administration at that time and guide yeah. the children. Yeah, yeah, that's a key point. Another among that we've mentioned a number of lessons here today, things to keep in mind, but that certainly is one of them is, um, you know, are you depending on somebody who is an individual be able to address something that may become an issue generations later in this case? And, and if they'd used a, a reputable firm or even a couple or even three. Or the prob- maybe, maybe not the family lawyer who's a kind of a potpourri lawyer of sorts either. Oh, yeah, you know? that person. Yeah, there's that's the classic country lawyer who's an individual. Uh, you know, they're honest. They, they may be good lawyers. Often they were. But it's not who you want to handle something where you're trying to take care of your your children's lives and their children's lives potentially. You know, you know, you remember you do your trust so that you potentially benefit if your children choose your grandchildren as well. And that means you've got to go with a you should go with a firm. And uh, yeah, we have young we have young lawyers, so we always we spread our lawyers across ages and because the we know that that, you know, someday uh, you won't be at Tucker Allen. I won't be involved with Tucker Allen, and and others will be. Uh, but the whole idea is that our clients count on records that are going to be around 30 years from now. So that's the nature of what we do. As you said, it's not like a lawsuit. It's different if you're doing, if you're doing, if it's personal injury, that that is an entirely different scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to, 
it's not a relationship, it's a transaction. So you have a transaction with a lawyer for that purpose. Even divorce lawyers, quite frankly, it's a longer transaction and it may last for a couple of years, but but the point is you don't expect to have a relationship over you decades, hope. you hope, <laughs> with your divorce lawyer. But estate planning is different. It's not a transaction, it's a relationship. So we covered a lot here today. I think we're out of time, but, uh, but I hope you found this interesting, and especially I hope you found it useful. This has been another episode of Life's Third Act. Till next time, take care. You've been listening to Life's Third Act, a podcast for thriving in retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, your estate and elder law advisors. Each week, we discuss topics and answer questions to help you better plan for your future. For more information, visit TuckerAllen.com. Subscribe and listen again next week for another edition of Life's Third Act. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements.